Hi again, listeners. Welcome to the latest episode, footnote episode, I should say, the Fancy Animation Podcast with me, Chris Holiday, And me, Alex Sargent. We are doing probably one of the key foundations, let's say, of film studies, film history. I think it's one of the first things that students maybe encounter as part of a um, cinema history course. I remember learning about it actually on an open day as part of my undergraduate studies at the University of Warwick. Um, it relates to silent cinema, but it also relates quite strongly to fantasy and animation, which is perfect. And that is cinema of attraction. So probably... Uh, yeah, film studies urtext. Um, you reckon? Yeah, Tom Gunning writing about the cinema of attractions. We'll throw in a Laura Mulvey yeah, as well. Say, visual pleasure narrative yeah. cinema. But I think there, there's of, a Twitter World Cup to be to be to be <laughs> not done. Um, um, and actually, I think those two things are in conversation with each other because yeah. um, Laura Mulvey writing about um, spectacle in the late seventies into the eighties at a time when the Hollywood blockbuster and visual effects and narrative um, and the relationship between narrative and spectacle are being rethought as a result of animation, digital VFX and animation. Um, Tom Gunning publishes in 1986 Cinema of Attractions. So while he's talking about early cinema, he's writing and publishing at a time where spectacle and narrative are being rethought because of the arrival of digital effects technology. So actually, we might think to the cinema of attractions is something that we relegate to a discussion of silent cinema because it's, that's its focus, but its context is post-classical Hollywood, digital effects, spectacle and narrative, Star Wars, post-Star yeah. Wars. So so in the, in, the, in, the, in the same way that Mulvey and, and Gunning are publishing at the same time um, about the 70s, what, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, actually, you know, there's a li- nice link. I've always thought that. Between, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, what is it, Alex? Is, <laughs> let's describe the essay. So... He, uh, Tom Gunning looks at uh, the first sort of 10, 15 years of cinema. Um, so we're talking, uh, you know, the early shorts, um, films that are wide ranging in their various um, forms and content. They're as wide ranging as things as cliched as the sort of, you know, the workers leaving the factory, the, the, the Lumiere um, actuality shorts. So these are shorts. Uh, bits of, of film taken from supposedly the real, well, quote-unquote the real world, um, but see episodes on realism for, for complications for full on details, that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people leaving a factory, people gathered in a park, uh, travel log films, a shot of New York, a shot of Trafalgar Square, Paris. Um, two things like the early uh, trick films of Georges Méliès, who's doing things like, you know, Man with the Exploding Head and... and trip to the Moon. Yeah, Trip to the Moon. Stage tricks and things like that. And Tom Gunning comes up with this term to describe all these very disparate, often quite contrasting forms. And he's thinking, of course, about the context of how they're being shown, that they're being shown on mixed bills in uh, cinema, cinema's early origins coming out of a kind of roadshow, carnival attraction. Uh, And he terms the term cinema of attractions to describe a very fundamental shift that goes on between this early form of cinema and what we would associate with kind of narrative cinema in that this early form, the cinema is the attraction in its own right, and these films are being used to show off the capabilities of cinema, whilst once we get to narrative cinema, cinema is a tool to be used to tell narrative. So when you're going to see these early movies, you're basically paying a ticket to see cinema, 
whilst when you're paying a ticket to see Casablanca, you're paying a ticket to see Casablanca, and mm. that happens to be told through cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So animation, well, I suppose bro- broadly speaking, then we're talking about um, cinema's acquisition of narrative at the turn of the 20th century, really, and and <clears throat> certainly cinema's asp- some somehow its aspirational relationship to narrative that narrative would only be integrated um, after about 1906, 1907. So films that came before it are part of this cinema of attractions that that locates a type of cinema as a historical moment in the first few years of the the 20th century that talks about uh, cinema's exhibitionist presentationalism rather than narrative absorption. Um, This is before stuff like parallel editing, which can create the illusion that events are happening simultaneously, which is obviously the foundation of dramatic narratives. Here we've often got one short shot or the illusion of one short shot in these trick films of, of Melies. Um, and actually Gunning's, interestingly, there's actually very little mention of animation in Gunning's original attractions essay, though he does mention Melies' trick film, as I mentioned, a, a trip to the moon that uses these stop frame effects as part of its staged or film um, magic. But narrative is often something considered, well, it's often considered uh, animation and I guess cinema's driving goal more generally that there was a kind of mission of narrative where um narrative was a paradigm that one wanted a cinema was just getting there it had to go through this chaotic period of attraction to get to this thing of of stories which is a very goal oriented and i think incorrect assumption that narrative was always the the aim we've had conversations about this interplay between narrative and spectacle it's not that (laughs) Um, it's not that that narrative didn't exist in these cinema of attractions movies is that they played second fiddle to to, to, to effects and attractions Um, and even though narrative comes along and redresses the balance, spectacle and narrative are always in play. And I remember you saying to me that actually, you know, the musical is a good example of where the balance is then tipped back the other way, where you have spectacle perhaps overtaking narrative. Um, the blockbuster, another good example. Well, of- and to complicate it even further, I think we, we're, as a sort of academic community, we're probably getting to a point where we are realizing that that all narrative. Ha- all narrative has spectacle, and all spectacle has narrative. Right? That that even something like. The, the the workers leaving the factory, there is a narrative at play there. Yeah, you know, there's there is time, there is duration, there is linearity. Yep, and there is spectacle. Uh, and also, and and people like Tom Brown who have argued that spectacle tells stories. Yeah, it tells so shots stories, exactly. shots from Gone with the Wind where characters are confronted with this vast open spec. And th- and this is the this is the issue I think with when you're when you're uh, teaching stuff like this and the students say yeah this is symmetrical it's very spectacular it's a spectacle. What, what, well, one, what do you mean by that? But also, spectacle can tell stories. The, the, a vast vista of hordes and crowds is a spectacle, but it also tells yeah. us something narratively about characters and about situations. So, um, uh, yeah, early animation, a bunch of, of shorts in the uh, which we kind of covered in the Lightning Sketches episode with our guest Malcolm Cook, who who makes the link to the cinema of attractions in his writing on the Lightning Sketches. Um, there are these shorts like the Enchanted Drawing, humorous faces are funny faces, Lightning Sketches, all made in this cinema of attraction period where technological innovation is the star it's all about the exhibition it's all about the presentation of the effect and actually narrative is something that's that's not quite there and it's it's 
a little bit more under the radar and it would only come to fruition later on in the 1910s and 1920s. Um, So what happens tends to be right is that about every 15 years someone writes some article how saying the cinema of attractions it's like a return to the cinema of attractions you know Avatar is a return to the cinema of attractions the 19 late 80s 70s 80s is the return to the cinema of attractions and I think we we, I think it's it's best to avoid that kind of Linearity. I think. I don't think Gunning really meant it that way either. There is a no. chronological aspect of what he's saying, but it's more about articulating an aspect of the of the cinematic na- the nature of the cinematic experience that's been there since its very inception and used to be the thing people focused at or mm. or at least thought a little bit more about. Um, uh, and it's yeah. central. Well, it's central to, to the myth, uh, the myth of cinema, myth of early cinema, but also the myth of film studies, narrative. Um, and I've been interested in this in relation to narrative and, and animation. That narrative was never really. It wasn't actively resisted by animation in the early 1900s because storytelling was only ever one of the qualities that the first animated cartoons possessed. Narrative and spectacle were always in this kind of tension. Um, now, we've encountered it in the introduction to the fantasy animation book through Melies, through yeah, Georges yeah, Melies. Yeah. So for me, he's he's one of the first animators because of his trick films. He's he's somebody very specific. He's the subject of the film Hugo, which is definitely the one we should do on the podcast. We've Hugo. done it. Hugo. We've done it. Have we? Yep. This has happened twice now. We've done okay. it, Chris. Yep. I yep. don't. I'll I... tell you who we did it with afterwards. Uh, but it's a very no. good episode uh, with Eric Smoodan. Uh, yes. And you can oh my goodness. It, oh, and you I'm can so access sorry. it in our archive. There yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I manage the website. I do not look at yeah, the content. Yeah, sure. Okay. So Hugo, as you will all know from the podcast. Um, <laughs> so Melies is yeah. Melies is this important figure where we've kind of he's essential to animation history because he's one of our first animators, let's say, mm-hmm. playing with trick effects, playing with stop frame effects, creating these magical scenarios. Um, but from the fantasy side, he's considered the father of fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, and that, and that kickstarts another, you know, discussion within fantasy theory about what can, what does, what cinema, what can cinema offer to the kind of mixed media world of fantasy storytelling, and often it's it's this idea of spectacle comes back into play, right? That yeah. cinema can't really rival, I'm, I'm paraphrasing an argument, right? But cinema can't really rival the literary, comple- or the literariness or the, the, the complexity of storytelling that is available to the fantasy author. But what it can do is provide mm. visual spectacle. And that's not necessarily something that's always looked upon mm. favorably when you put it in these terms of kind of narrative versus spectacle. Yeah. Because so, narrative is the kind of <clears throat> gentrifying act, right? I mean that's that's why narrative cinema became a massive thing was that it was it was meant to attract the middle classes, right? So narrative mm. is kind of culturally always seen as the superior of the two aesthetics, but as we've won why and two it's actually that not that simple because because narrative has spectacle and spectacle yeah. is narrative and and Melies is important because he is a, a filmmaker who wanted to tell particular stories that are of fantasy and and therefore needed animation and equally to test the animation out he needed stories of fantasy and so there's this kind of really the relationship between the, the slash that exists between fantasy and animation is almost the slash that can exist between narrative and spectacle that they're yeah, always yeah, yeah. in conversation with each other and there's a kind of fluency between the two terms um that shouldn't be seen necessarily in in hierarchical terms no, um no. so there we go i started the timer late so goodness knows what where we are all but right, um, we better stop then well, um, so uh, well fir- first of all i would say if you would like to read up on anything that we've talked about the introduction to the fantasy animation book is mm-hmm. kind of wading through some of these ideas with reference to, to gunning and cinema of attractions and of course his article that was was published in the, in 1986, 
in, in relation to early cinema uh, and the spectator, the, the, the name of the, the exact wording of the book escapes him, but we'll stick it on the bibliography. So he's writing in the 1980s, um, as I said, about early cinema, but at a time where the narrative spectacle relation is being played out industrially through through um, blockbuster movies of this period that rely a lot on digital effects technology. Uh, anything else that we need to add into the bibliography? Us, uh, us gunning. Um, Mulvey, we could stick Mulvey in there, couldn't we? Stick Mulvey in stick there. Mulvey I think she's there. probably, t- uh, we need to do another podcast we will. on visual we will, of course. narrative cinema, but that's, uh, yes, one uber text uh, dealt with for now. So, yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, FanAnimResearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research, and you can use that same handle, uh, F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research at gmail.com to email us with future footnote suggestions. Uh, you can find us on the website, fancy-animation.org, where you can find the archive of podcasts and blogs, even the ones Chris doesn't remember. So sorry. Um, oh as well dear. as subscribing via all your favorite podcast subscription services. Give us a like, a, a, a subscribe, click the subscribe button, and a quick review with a few words and a five star would be really, really, really handy. Um, helps with the visibility and everything. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.